Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. What time is that? That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home, those, those, those boys. I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good luck. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. Second captain, first captain, whatever. This is Second Captains at the Irish Times, show number one of the week, and the words Rory McElroy and Meltdown dominate the media agenda today. Mm. Well, the Oscars probably dominate the media agenda. It depends what kind of media you read. If it's yeah. golf. There's also Ukraine. Yeah, you know uh, the Ukraine was tweeted about more often than uh, the Oscars last night. Barely. Some people saw this as kind of a sign of, um, you know, the that after many thousands of years of evolution, that humankind still there's still you know a semblance of common sense to mm-hmm. what we do. Really, you know, if the Oscars were on five hours earlier over here, you know, the Oscars McElroy, that all, all day long, really, isn't it? McElroy threw with the Honda Classic away last night with a round of seventy four. At one stage, he had a run of 11 holes in which he hit no birdies, no eagles, I should hate that, four bogeys and one double bogey. I think that was a stretch of holes that really did for Rory McIlroy. But he's one of the few sports people who can find time in the midst of one of these meltdowns to pull off a stroke of genius, as he did on the 18th hole when he hit one of the great approach shots of all time. Mm. I was described that way both by the American and the British commentators who you see on Sky. Uh, That set up an eagle chance, which would have won in the tournament. He missed... He didn't win the playoff and the collapse was the story. I don't know what you find more fascinating, Murph, watching Roy McIlroy win or watching Roy McIlroy lose spectacularly. Well, I certainly prefer to, to watch him, uh, well, I prefer to see him win, but for sheer box office, I mean, the meltdowns are, I mean, they're they're pretty entertaining. I mean, you're, well, entertaining is the wrong word, but I mean, they're they're pretty compelling. They're almost as definitive as the victories. He, he sometimes romps to these wins. Uh, he's so and it's so certain that he's going to do it, and he can mm. often win by uh, decent chunks as he's done in majors. But when he goes the other way, it's almost still, there's no handbrake there. There's no there's nothing that stops him from just going further and further into the abyss. I and also the, the emotion that he shows. Not that he was particularly. He wasn't one of his. He didn't walk off the course, mm. put it that way, this time around. He didn't never, never, never did look like doing anything like that, but he just gets so angry, so down on himself and kind of looks like um, you or I might look if we were yeah. throwing away a lead at the Yeah, moment. you're just really, really frustrated and kind of not able to deal with it, you know, in, in, in any sort of a 
right, okay, I'm a sportsman, I'm a superior being here, I should be, you know, above the, the slings and arrows of outrageous golfing fortune. Um, but that's not, that's not something that Rory really is capable of It's a little bit immature, isn't it? Uh, Rory's? Yeah. yeah. I don't know if immaturity is the word. Uh, yeah, it is. You know what it reminds me of? Um, my driving test. Uh, when, I'd start, when I did my driving test in 2003, mm-hmm. yeah. I could see the guy, I thought I was doing quite well, I was driving around, you know, fairly sedately. Checking those mirrors, were you? Um, looking looking around, scanning the road. I could see the guy for some reason making little scratches on his on his oh, pad, you know? Mm. He's got he's got this little sort of uh, yeah, clipboard. Yeah. And I could see him making I could just say the corner of my eye, obviously I was I wasn't swiveling my head around to, to look down at what Similar he was doing. Similar to you, how how you're supposed to look in your mirrors. And I thought, what's corner he doing? You know? Yeah. What is he actually doing there? What faults is he seeing? I haven't made any faults. Yeah. And but I could see him doing it and and I, I could almost you know the way sometimes you can just sense I could mm. just kind of sense this, nah, kind yeah. of coming not, across from not him. Not for me. No, not for me. Not, not for today. Me. <laughs> and and what happened was that I just thought, all right, well, you know, the hell with you. Well, essentially, yeah, essentially, yes. I thought along the lines of the hell with you. Yeah. And proceeded to just start uh, speeding along or all around the neighbourhood, speeding around. Uh, just to get to the end of the test as quickly as I could. At that point, I didn't care. In fact, I wanted to make mistakes. I wanted it to be a complete disaster. Because I knew, I knew there was no point in, in just going through the rest of it, going through the motions, you know, in the, in a, it, like, we, like this was still a test. I knew that he, he'd already taken against me and it wasn't going to happen. So I thought, all right, fine. No, and I, and I sped back, essentially made a billion more mistakes. The whole, the, the pad at the end was just completely covered in, mm. in uh, you know, red uh, marks and X's and points. And yeah. I don't know, I got an unbelievable, racked up an unbelievable high score. They still talk about you down there. But, you know, it was, you know, I just, it was, I, once I knew that it was yeah. spiraling out of my control, I thought, well, I'd rather really royally just, yeah. mess this up than give this guy the satisfaction. Of sitting here trying to go through the Ken, rest I don't of know. This, this might be 10 years too late, fashion. but I do have to, and you might be aware of this, but just because he's scribbling on that annoying clipboard that he has doesn't mean you're definitely going to fail. It does mean that there have been some minor faults committed. Mm. At the time you made your conscious decision to just go all out yeah. and forget about it, you might have only had a few X's. You might have survived. Well, that's, that's the thing, and I suppose I'll never know. But again, I, I didn't want to... Wisdom comes dripping slowly, Ken. I, but, but again, I didn't want to expose myself to the risk of just scarcely just barely yeah. failing you know yeah you wanted it to you wanted to flame out yeah i want other. and i wanted to be able to come out of it with a story about how the guy was against me from the start and how there was nothing that, that i could possibly do i didn't want to try and fail and i see a little bit of that in rory McElroy although McElroy did hit that best shot of his career to get himself into a playoff he no, tried he to can, fail then can reversed it. can reversed into his parking space in the driving center right doesn't make any difference there's nothing worse the result is still spectacular the finish yeah. how was that for you mister yeah. you know, so if it, if it looks like you're going to fail that's when you just start uh, messing you know, it's just i don't care about this anymore Andy Lee has taken the old school boxing tactic of calling out a potential opponent this often happens at fights, mm. certainly in back in the day, it would have you'd have I don't know maybe Riddick Bowe being called out by Lennox Lewis. I actually yeah. saw a clip of that quite recently. It's a pretty ringside, pretty cringy calling out ringside. Yeah, they called each other out. Lewis commentating on the fight, but the, the, what happens now, Murph, is you just tweet somebody. Yeah. Andy Lee thinks this 
Matthew McIntyre fight has been stalling for a while. We've both just missed out on world title fights. They've slipped through our fingers in the last little while. Why not tweet Macklin with a challenge? Macklin responds in the affirmative and the two of them look like they're going to get it on. So we'll talk to Andy about that a little bit later on. And Anthony Moyles is just about to join us in the studio to talk football after another round of games in the Allianz League that featured some unusually open play for this time of year, Murph. Yeah, well... Yeah, we we need to we need to be careful about the about you know ascribing all of it to the black hour. But I have to say, from the football that I've seen, I'm ascribing a large amount of this to the black hour and defenders' unwillingness to uh, even incur the wrath of of the referee to an extent where he could give you a black card. Um, and the scoring is ridiculous. I mean, you know, Kildare got one twenty one yesterday and lost the game. Uh, Mayo scored two eighteen against Kildare in the first round of the league and lost that game. Three uh, sixteen was enough to win two games in Division One yesterday. Um, these are big, big scores. And yeah, I mean, is this not exactly what we wanted? It's from exactly what we Black want. Art. This is exactly well, what we want. Some people aren't too happy. Well, I mean, I th- I think that anyone who's unhappy about this is really nearly only embarrassed at how quickly they've been proven wrong and are starting to are still grumbling about 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 this. I mean I think, you know, obviously there's a rule change, so it's gonna take a little while for people to adapt to the new reality. And by the championship comes around, I think teams will have. But at the moment it's a free for all and it's brilliant to watch. Anthony Moyles, thanks very much for popping in. No problem at all, lads. The league so far has been a bit of a score fest. Are you a a fan of this new style of this new sport that we're watching? Yeah, new sport that we're watching. I, I, you know, it struck me on Saturday night at the uh, the Dublin Court game. You know, I just actually said first half was like a challenge match. You know, yeah. And like the one thing you always, always, always hated about a challenge game as a defender was the fact that it was a challenge game. That there was no intensity around the midfield. Lads were picking out passes, and you were just being roasted most of the time you know and it's a very 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 tough environment to come into especially a new player um, because you know I was watching some of the Dublin backs new guys um, and one or two of them got hauled off early and it's, it's, it's so tough because as a defender you don't want to get involved um, when you have the ball you know when you're starting off you're kind of tentative you know so you're just concentrating on marking your man and then it's so wide open that you're really on the back foot all the time and then a more experienced fellow say like Philly McMahon is actually getting involved in the game so even though he's defending maybe or getting as much as a skinning as the other guy he stays on the field right, yeah. and it's very tough at the start you know and quite often then as it did in the second half things tightened up and the actual intensity picked up a bit but it's certainly players are just, well, certainly defenders are just so afraid now. Yeah, there are, and there are grumblings now um, that have, well, they've probably been there from the start of the season, but they're only going to grow louder that this isn't what Gaelic football should be and that it's going too far the other way. It's going too, too much like a challenge game. Yeah, like I mean, even I've seen a few fellas tweeting different stuff, you know. And I was actually I was I was I was chatting to uh, it was just noticing Kevin Riley was just from Mead was was, mm. was talking a couple of weeks back, um, and just saying that really the art of it has gone out of it, and, and not the sense like no one wants to see that stupid kind of um, you know pulling back or the body checking and stuff like that, which is a ridiculous thing, you know, as a man goes by you anyway. It's a lazy foul, you know, but. The fact of a guy who makes a genuine effort, say, as a defender, to try and get in or get a hand in um, and dispossess a guy and just manages to clip a guy and he goes down and boom, it's a, it's a black card and you're gone, you know? And, like, so so does that mean that you actually lay off a guy and let him get the ball and then defend him? Um, or you defend from, from in front? And what you're seeing now a lot is 
defenders are playing from in front and even Cork Dublin on Saturday night that long ball in over the defence is causing absolute panic now mm. because guys are being forced to defend from the front yeah um, I haven't seen a lot of that though the, the stuff that say Kevin Riley is talking about I'm sure plenty of others plenty of other defenders are talking about as well that you know the, the honest attempt gets a black card mm. I haven't seen too many incidents to be honest what I've seen more often than not is referees erring very much on the side of okay, if it's a black card or it's a yellow card, if I'm not 100% sure, I'm going to give it the yellow card. So, I, you know, I, I understand where Kevin Riley is coming from, but I think maybe that, that, the, that, that the worry there is bigger than the actual reality, that referees haven't actually been giving out black cards for the sort of thing that he's, he's talking yeah, about. Yeah, well, I think, I'd say they're probably not, Murph, because the player in his own mind is resisting. You know, even watching Kerry Mayo yesterday, there was a couple yeah, of kind of that's the problem with sixty forty challenges where you'd before you would have just went for it, you know, and now you're kinda of saying, Okay, I'll just back completely out of it. You mm-hmm. know, so so the player is stopping himself. I agree with you, you know, that the the referees now of course have done the their own little way around it and their way around it is they either give you a tick or they give you a yellow. Like O'Gara on Saturday night, pretty blatant black card I felt he pulled down on Cadigan in the second half. Um and I think even O'Gara was feeling like this is probably it. I'm off here, mm. and he and he got a yellow. You know, like I mean, and it just seems to be a little bit of a cop out by referees because uh, you know the, the the yellow is obviously the easier thing to go for now. It seems to be, but it's it's it's. I think it's you can see from the score lines. Like I mean, it's it's big scores. You yeah, know? there was criticism in the Kerry game as well because two Kerry players got black cards. Andy Moran escaped the black card when he committed what looked like a cynical foul. Now it seems as simple in that case, Murph, as. Andy Moran didn't manage to take his opponent to the ground. He didn't drag him to the ground, therefore that's why... Yeah, the, well, the wording of the rule is to deliberately pull down an opponent and all Andy Moran did really was pull him back. That's one way of getting a black card. Yeah, that's yeah. one way of getting a black card. So, it's kind I mean, of semantics in a way. You're yeah. in a yeah. huge amount of semantics at this stage. If you're, if you're <laughs> Basically, it, uh, it encourages diving, really. I mean, Absolutely, if the, if yeah. the player goes down, then suddenly it's a black card offence. That not is a worry, card. and I, I think there are legitimate causes for concern, but there's a danger of jumping the gun a little bit here because we're still in the early stages. We've all seen league games over the years that finish in a fairly high-scoring shootout uh, because the intensity just isn't going to be the same as is in championship. What I'm interested in is seeing what the good coaches do here, Anthony, how the good coaches get around this and what game plans they implement and what individual coaching they do with players because... This is a challenge that's there now. The rule is in the books, so they're going to have to find a way around it. Yeah, I completely agree with you. It's going to be on a, a situation where, you know, like, I mean, I remember in the past, as defenders, you, you, like, I mean, you, you try to do a lot of work, obviously, on quick feet and quick hands and moving across, but uh, there was always a... There was always a dark arts element to it as well, you know, and kind of some of the guys who, who could really get away with that pull just at the right time um, ahead of the referee looking down the pitch or whatever it was. But, like, that's just, that's just the way it is. But what, what this will definitely try to improve on, um, and managers have to just embrace it because it's not going to change now, is the fact that, you know, we have to be smarter with our tackling and we have to just be better with our tackling. There's no more of that lazy tackle where a fellow goes by and you just say, oh, mm. you know, and I'll just do this, for take this one for the team. That's gone now, you know, and, and if it's going to be a crisp shoulder or something, like it has to be on the money. Um, and probably just, it's a situation where defenders actually have to stay in their feet more, you know, and actually play the man a bit more um, certainly forwards have the edge I think at the moment um, now whether teams decide whether they bring one or two players back and try and shore it up I think actually that causes a bit more mayhem because if you're as an extra man 
unlike a kind of a rugby parlance, a guy kind of goes by you at an angle. The only thing you can really do is kind of put out an arm or a flail and tackle, you know. Uh, and and what you're seeing now is an awful lot of teams now seem to be going to kind of the, the Dublin template, which is just man on man. And if you get beaten by that man, will you try and get back to him, um, or you try and it's beat him? Serious pace probably to pull that off as well, which is something that. Absolutely, and that's what teams are bringing into it. You know, like I mean, if a halfback comes at you at an angle and a ball is popped to him as an extra defender, that's that's essentially how Dublin decided that they were going to get around this. You know, um, but it's it's look. I think you're right. It needs to, it needs to kind of just wash through the system. League games can be like that. They can be drudge fests, you know, on an old dirty day up in Bally Buffet, or it can be just like it was on Saturday night, which was just like. Let's have pot P- shots. Particularly in Croker. I think a lot of the games, whatever about Croke Park, I don't know if it's the size of the pitch or just people feel they should be trying to play good football there, but uh, there are a lot of open league games. I want to talk to you about the two big Munster teams. Anthony, you face similar challenges this season. Both of them have uh, a lot of experience leaving their squads. Um, do Cork look in slightly better shape to deal with that? Maybe in part because the young players they're bringing in have had underage success and maybe we're going to start to see now Kerry suffering for their relative lack of success? Yeah, possibly. Um, I was really impressed by Cork on Saturday night, I have to say. Um, not only because of the individuals and the, the likes of O'Neill coming back in, and that was just fantastic to see him. The yeah. two scores he got were just like, I mean, his, his, his point at the end was just audacious, you know. It was, just, it was the winning of the game, and he just, he'd never had anything else in his mind. It was fantastic for a guy like that. Imagine the torture he's gone through. Yeah, he's had, uh, just for people who aren't aware, it's Colm O'Neill has had two yeah. cruciate, three, three, three cruciate three, injuries at this stage and he's back scoring and one of the top forwards. And yeah. yeah, I mean, I think it was just the sharpness that he showed. You know, I mean, you can, you can uh, work on a million things when you're coming back from your third cruciate injury in five years. But uh, the things that he did, I mean, two yeah. touches of the ball and two of the best scorers all evening. I mean, it was just, and everyone was saying it was so heartwarming, but it actually yeah. was. Yeah. And in a season where you kind of lose Colm Cooper, to get Colm O'Neill back, I'm not putting him up there just yet, but I mean, he is a, he is a no, brilliant, it's, it's brilliant great. footballer. Yeah, absolutely. I agree, Mark. But the, I suppose the Cork thing, um, Cork always had good forwards. You know, even the last number of years, they always had good forwards. But the problem with Cork in the last number of years were that the half-back line, um, or midfielders would get the ball and then would literally carry the ball all the yeah. way down to the forward line. And then they would do this kind of a loop where Dunnick O'Connor or someone else would come around around you and you'd pop the pass to him. That became completely null and void then when there was lots of bodies back there because you'd get the loop pass, you'd come around on the outside and then you'd just hit another defender. Very evident on Saturday night, Cuthbert has him just pinging passes, long balls. You know, it's kind of reminiscent of kind of my days in the sense that as soon as you got the ball you looked up to deliver a 40-50 yard pass and move it quick like Aidan Walsh did more kick passing on Saturday night than I've seen him do in years you know yeah. as soon as he got into space you could see nearly the temptation to go but then he looked up and they have fantastic forwards like Hurley you know these different guys in, in, in the forward line of court Collins, Collins Goulding, absolutely they're, yeah. they're really really good players you know and I think that you move in a guy like Finton Gould into midfield as well and like Finton Gould wants to pass the ball he's, he's not a runner he's a guy Correct. who he wants to kick the ball 50 60 yards and it, you know this the difference in style is actually but it's it, it's liberating you know I, I think in a weird kind of way that say Kerry have lost all of these Ireland medals 16 I think medals between Tomas O'Shea Paul Galvin mm. Owen Brosnan and they've lost Con Cooper as well yeah. and the Kerry players nearly seem weighed down by that the, the the level of experience that's been taken out of their team whereas with Cork it's nearly like the guys like Gould and Goulding. Now, it's not even that they're the young players necessarily, but it's it's their team now, and they seem liberated by that, and they seem 
they they want they want that pressure. Well, yeah, well they are the the old stagers now, even though they're young guys. And I think Cuthbert has probably brought in, like, you can get lucky as a manager, and I think he did in the sense of all of those guys retired. You know, there was no need for him to come in and start dropping fellas and start kind of you know, and then causing any kind of animosity between. Because even as a younger guy, you you look up at the you look up to these guys for the last five or six years, and you listen to them. Um, and sometimes it's very hard. It takes a really strong personality to take over that mantle while there's an older group there. The common perception, though, is that you ideally. Of course, if you're a new manager coming in, you probably need one or two of those older guys to move on. But generally, you want to keep a couple. You maybe only want to lose one or two a year. Yeah, well, it can be, but it depends, I suppose, on the strength of character of the rest of the team, you know, and the other people around them. Like, I think Cuthbert and probably his own strength of character in the sense of, I think Murphy's right, this is now your team. Go and, you know, do you have your own legacy? Like, I mean, this is what Cork have done. And not, not to say Cunahan was, was like Cunahan was successful to a degree, but um, he, he brought, he's brought a new ethos. He certainly seems to have brought a new style of play. Um, fellas who, who, who haven't been there in years are back um, and they want to play for Cork. And as I say, they're playing, they're playing really good football. Kerry, on the flip side, I wasn't too worried for Kerry yesterday. Like that Mayo team that finished that game were very, very yeah, strong. strong yeah. Like, geez, it, was, it was practically the All-Ireland team, you know. Um, and you look across, even the guys then they brought in, they brought Vaughan in, they brought Shamie O'Shea in. Um, and whereas Kerry, I was looking at going, don't know that guy, don't know that guy. There was probably six, seven fellas, yeah. you know, who were coming up. Like O'Donoghue's just fantastic. Uh, they probably made a mistake yesterday that they brought him out from 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 the full forward line out to the half forward line. That was a mistake, but there's no doubt about it. Um, and Murphy's right. The amount of experience you lose, um, but Kerry or Kerry, you know, fella gets Kerry jersey. He kind of thinks I should have had I should have had this ten years, years ago. ago. Yeah, you know, yeah. like I mean, yeah. it's, it's even just, though they're it's, not winning. I mean, they've won one. They've only won one monster under twenty one. I think in the last yeah decade one or monster so. under twenty one title since two thousand and two. Let alone I had to go out and check that just to make yeah that's not yeah that's monster. That's not even all Ireland's, which is an extraordinary statistic. I mean, Waterford and Tipperary have won as many under 21 titles. Which is why I'm just wondering if um, under a 17, 18-year-old now, can he really be that confident as a a Kerryman might have been 10 years ago coming into the senior setup if he has been getting beaten by Cork and getting beaten by Tip, say, at underage? Yeah, well, he's he's still a Kerryman, so, you know, (laughs) there is that. Yeah, there's not... uh, Even in the 10 years before that, there wasn't huge amounts of underage success so I mean I think if you get the number 10 jersey as a carry man you're like well the last guy who wore this was Paul Galvin so mm. let's step up and I mean but I mean that's the reaction that you have to try and gauge you know what I mean your man O'Brien actually from Kinmerit played well yesterday did, yeah. um, but does he have does he have enough about him to rather than be weighted down by the expectation of replacing Paul Galvin say right okay it's a uh, but as you say, I should have had this jersey two years yes, ago. That's the, the big question. Yeah. You know? And that's Fitzmaurice's challenge this year. You know, like, I mean, as I say, looking at Munster, Cuthbert is just kind of, it's a clean slate nearly, you know, whereas Fitzmaurice is still dealing with, and people are always going to say, you can imagine now, oh, you should bring back Galvin. You know, straight away when Cooper yeah. got injured, it was like, well, he should really ask Galvin back, you know, and it's it's all of that. So he's that legacy is always going to be with him, whereas Cuthbert can kind of stand back and go, well, these guys made their own choices. Noel O'Leary, you know, O'Neill, X, the, the, all these lads made their own choices, and I'm, I'm, I have my new team, you know. It's, uh, like, I, I, as I say, they're on, like Kerry have, haven't got a win yet, but they were in the same boat last year and they won their last four games and look what happened to them, you know. Yep, OK, we'll see what happens this year. Anthony Grace, so thank you. No problem. Shane Curran with the kick out. The 42-year-old goalkeeper. Curran 
100 out from goal. Here he comes. He topped it. He fought it. He's 50 yards out from goal. What a day for us coming. All the mother niggas lame and you know it now. When the real nigga hold you down, you're supposed to drown. Bam. 1944 is the last time a senior tried to come out of here. And the one, 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 one with the last one. Bam. I'm not totally convinced by this idea that you seem to share with Anthony Murph that they're Kerry footballers, therefore they'll man up and they'll take on the mantle. I understand it and there is a tradition and historically they have done that. So mm. I could be barking up the wrong tree, uh, tree at this point. But I just think at this point, the way the game has developed, other counties have their underage structures in such good shape. Now you look at Dublin and they're seen as the benchmark may be at underage. They're delivering fully formed intercounty footballers at a fairly regular rate into the senior setup at the age of 20 in a way that wasn't done, certainly wasn't done in Dublin 10 or 15 years ago. Uh, You look at the conditioning of players who arrive in. It seems like Kerry had somewhere along the line lost that. And I know their argument would be, and and Kerry football people might say, well, you don't need to win all Ireland as a minor. And it's true enough. You just need one or two coming through each year. But actually, you need probably more than one or two when you're losing as many as Kerry have lost in the last 18 months. Yeah. Yeah, no, I I do. I sign up for all of that, right? But I would also say that Dublin can only play 15 of these guys. Um, And... It kind of it, it's 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 intimidating to play against in that you know that there are guys uh, of a similar quality coming on and there's uh, you know there's three of them but I mean the way it's looking now it's almost it's nearly ridiculous that you see a guy the uh, Redden came on and kicked two really good scores got For taken Dublin, yeah yeah and like he seems like a really good player you know but there's been so many of these guys who have announced themselves to that level with Dublin that. You're kind of thinking, yeah, it's intimidating that they have another guy who's capable of doing this, but you can still only play six of them, you know? And have they unearthed a guy as good as, um, you know, like... Bernard Brogan, for example? Yeah, exactly. You know, like, they, they, they have huge depth, but whether that actually translates itself into, okay, they're just going to keep winning and keep winning and keep winning, I'm not entirely My sure My point is, that. though, and it ties into what we said about Cork, that, and I'm not writing Kerry off by any means at all, but... These players are arriving in having achieved at underage level. They have a genuine logical reason to believe that they should win all Ireland yeah. at senior level and go and do and they should be able to go and do that. The Kerry young players who come in only really have the history and I know what you're saying that they have Galvin to look up to and they have Cullum Cooper to look up to but if they go through a few barren years they're already a couple of years away from uh, their last All-Ireland win. If that happens for a few years then they don't actually have all these All-Ireland winners to look up to as that yeah, great squad from the late part of the last decade starts thinning out. But they've got something to chase. Alan. What yeah. you need is you need someone to look up to, something to chase. Yeah, well, I t- and one other thing was <laughs> I can't remember what the other thing was. Well, I, God, I, family, and some examples of people you admire who you'd like to emulate. Yeah. Well, see, the thing is, right? Uh, Dublin keep talking about uh, under like well, you you've mentioned quite uh, Dublin cannot are juggernaut that cannot be stopped, yeah. Murph. A financial juggernaut, commercial juggernaut, and just in general, talented ju- juggernaut that yeah. will not be stopped. It's a jugger. It's a ta- it's a juggernaut of talent. Juggernaut of talent. That's it. Not yeah. just a talented juggernaut. Um, but you see, you've mentioned underage success there quite a bit. I mean, at this stage. Underage success is a kind of sick joke being perpetrated on Galway football fans. That's basically all it is. Um, because it doesn't really have any 
major connection to anything uh, from what I can see over the last six or seven years. Senior inter-county football is now a totally different sport. I mean, you were talking about a different sport that we've seen in the last couple of weeks with the Blackheart. I mean, in the last four or five years, it's become clear that winning under-21 titles is a totally separate thing. You know, you happen to have the best under-21 team that year, but... What, what, what I think there's a failure of Galway football structure somewhere along the line, yeah. though, that they're not, they have all these incredible young players and they can't convert them into good senior players. That's a, a system fault somewhere. To be honest, I'm, I'm a little bit worried about the future of, of the game, of the championship. Yeah. Why? Because you kind of need to have, you kind of need to have the, the prospect of other teams winning from time to time, don't you? It's a little bit like, oh my God. We, we're, in that, we're in that sort of Greek League Olympiakos situation now yeah. with, with Dublin. Yeah, I wonder. Maybe after it's, they're one in a row, <laughs> maybe it's one in a row. Yeah, maybe it's time to to partition Dublin. Partition Dublin, yeah. Well, yeah. if you know, if you could have a south side and a north side team, mm. would that would that help that's help been, out any? Been mentioned. I mean, yeah. it's yeah. merely it's merely. Thanks suggested. for the olive branch. Okay, I'll, 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 re- I'll recommend it to our country. You could have a west side team as well. Yeah, split of four ways. East. Uh, well, we don't really have no an east. east. We've it's got just there. It'd be it'd be a fairly watery looking outfit. That uh, East Siders, but yeah, we. I mean, I I would be prepared to do that. I'd be prepared to to accept Dublin being split into three in order to bring competitiveness back. Thanks to the uh, to Thanks the championship. I appreciate that. Thank you. You know, Gaelic football fans who might not have listened to Ken talk too often might but actually take, take that very seriously. seriously. <laughs> uh, so we should the, distance ourselves. Pre- prepare from that. for the umbrage. I think Andy Lee had penciled in April twenty sixth as a day he'd fight for world title against Gennady Golovkin, one of the most impressive world champions in any weight division at the moment. That fight now won't happen. Golovkin's taking a break from the sport. His father passed away last month. Andy obviously spotted another opportunity with Matthew Macklin failing to land a rematch with Felix Sturm and fired a tweet out over the weekend. Now that neither of us have a world title fight, there's no better time. Now, exclamation mark, let's fight, said Andy to Matthew Macklin. Macklin has responded positively and Andy joins us now. 50 years ago, Andy Muhammad Ali, then Cassius Clay, had to drive a bus to the home of Sonny Liston to goad him into a fight. You can just do it over Twitter now. I know, yeah, the power of... uh social media um, woke up yesterday morning to find out that well they texted me for the night but I was asleep that the Glavkin fight had been postponed or cancelled uh, due to his father passing away uh, so that was disappointing but they, um, when Adam called me he said that Luda Bella had mentioned a possible fight with Macklin and then um, someone on Twitter had tagged Macklin into a tweet which I was involved in somehow and he had said that he was open to fighting me in the tweet so I used that as an opportunity to put a tweet out there and say let's get it on and uh, it went a little bit mad for a while but yeah, yeah. Um, hopefully the fight can be you know can be arranged now Well Macklin came back and saying yeah 100% agree and even suggested a date were you expecting him to come back with that? Um, yeah I think so Um I was hoping that he would come back with it. Uh, I don't know about the, like he suggested June 7th on the undercard. I think it's a big enough fight to have to be its own main event, um, especially in Ireland or, or New York. So um, once they sort out the logistics and all that, then hopefully the fight can be sorted out in the next week or two. Yeah, Lou Bella came back and said, uh, he suggested the date of April 26th. That was the day you were originally supposed to be fighting Golovkin. Uh, so it, there's a, that's a possible runner at the moment. I guess Debella would be the man who would, who would know. Yeah, well, he is both of our promoters, and the date is still available, I guess. Um, HBO had it scheduled, like you say, for me and Glocken, and so it would still be available, and it would suit me that time, you know, I'm, I'm in training, so um, 
um, on gearing up for that date anyway. So hopefully, I, that's it's, it's very early yet. You know, it was only yesterday, and, and really, literally, it's only been yeah. the tweets back and forth. That's the only thing that's been agreed. So uh, we'll see what happens. How complex is it from here on in? How much how much say do you have now? Because it seems pretty clear that we have a situation where both fighters want to fight. That doesn't always mean that it happens. But uh, given that Debella's looking after you guys, how how centrally involved will you and Macklin be in this, or is it in the hands of the the promoter and his people at this stage? It's more in the hands of the promoter. Um, uh, you know, he. I think he wants to have it in, in New York because he's based there and also HBO would be paying the most money for the fight. So, um, really, between me and, my, me and Matthew, we'd have to go where 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 it pays the most, you know. Um, but, uh, myself personally, I would like it to be in Dublin, but... Um, I don't know if I have, I wouldn't have much control over the thing or saying it. You know, I would like it to be in Dublin or Limerick, Tumwell Park. Um, the O2 would be nice. It would be a great occasion. And I think, um, well, not only did I feel deserve to see it in the flesh, I wanted to see it in the flesh because um, I believe I'm going to beat him. And when I do, I want the most people to see it, you know, live and on TV. You mentioned the uh, losing the Golovkin fight, and that would have been a big payday, I guess. So, will this soften the blow somewhat that you will you you don't get the world title fight, but you do get another fight against an opponent, which is generating huge interest in Ireland, hopefully in America as well, and should also get you a decent payday. Um, yeah, certainly what you just said, but also um, this is it's more than a consolation prize because I've been wanting to fight Matthew now for last year, or so and. Um, it hasn't worked out in the past. Just the timing wasn't right, and we didn't, you know, we didn't have met when we could have met. Um, but now the time is right, and I think it's, a, you know, it's, it's a, I'm, 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 I'm really looking forward to it. You know, I'm dying for this fight to happen. So hopefully we can get it, get it sorted out in the next week. Just lastly, Andy, is it the kind of fight that would really get you going? It sounds like it certainly would, but just in the sense that it's a dangerous fight in a lot of ways for both of you guys, both high quality fighters. The loser, I don't know what happens to the loser, and yet the winner will be presumably straight in line for another world title fight. Is that the kind of pressure you're ready to put on yourself at this stage of your career? Yeah, I believe in myself. I believe I'm going to win, and it's what we both need at this stage. We're both knocking around. We're, you know, we're in similar positions in our career, um, similar levels of experience, and so why not? You know, the winner of the fight will go on. The loser will have to have a long, hard think about things, but the winner of the fight will go on to 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 a world title fight, and that's. You know what? What, what better incentive to have than to fight each other? So, you know, it's not quite calling like calling champions out and trying to because that's not going to work. You have to earn a, earn a world title fight. So, let's let us fight each other. The winner will earn it, and we'll see who the best man is. Well, we hope it happens, Andy. We'll keep an eye on your Twitter uh, feed. Anyway, listen. Thanks very much. <laughs> Thank you all, and all the best. It would be lovely to have it in Ireland, I think. Murph Andy suggested Tom yeah. Park there. I'm not sure Macklin will have that for people who aren't aware of the backgrounds. We're talking Limerick versus Tip here. So maybe... Turnus. Turnus might be... Two popular fighters might be slightly uh, big cavernous yeah, type of venue. Yeah, we're, let's not go mental here on the ticket selling uh, abilities of both of these fighters. But certainly but. they will uh, drum up a hell of a lot of interest and they would sell out a decent venue and I think a lot of people w- would and will watch on TV. So it, co- it sounds like more realistically it's going to be over in New York maybe and that's a good trip for a lot of people. And I'm sure a lot of... Yeah. No, I mean, I, th- I think it, it the way Andy is talking about it there, it does seem to make more sense for it to be in New York. But at the same time, the O2 would be absolutely brilliant. I think the O2 is the Smart most like Well, it's the only really likely scenario from a, an Irish point of view, I think. And it would be it would be brilliant. Coming up in Second Campus Football. That's... Yeah. <laughs>
They have asked for that, really. Uh, you can laugh. You can walk up. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. Well, um, there was a lot of interesting matches on over the weekend. On there was a big match in Madrid, uh, which Real Madrid I think came out with the right result of two two all against Atletico. Um, there was a League Cup final, Manchester City. Beating Sunderland, and uh, we'll talk about those two. And An also, game. yeah, and Roy Keane is speaking to the media today, the Irish media, uh, doing his pitch side update duty. Mm-hmm. Um, it's uh, the part of the job he loves most. <laughs> so we'll we'll see what the situation is. Obviously, that game with Serbia coming up. There were some awards doled out last night as well. Robbie Keane, International Player of the Year. Yeah. A lot of people thought Seamus Coleman would get that. Bruce Arena wrecked this grin of this century. Yeah. Did you see that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It Can was... you explain this if people haven't seen it? Well, I have to say that I was out at RT watching this. I wasn't in the room where the awards were on, I was in the studio where the awards were on. I was, I was a little bit further up in one of the um, sort of waiting area, guest areas, because mm-hmm. um, we were waiting to do some interviews with the winners afterwards. And uh, I, I might as well fill you in on what happened in those interviews. Uh, James McCarthy says the headbutt um, of of Pardew on Myler was like water off a duck's back to Myler. And he says that when he plays in Scotland, the abuse of fans, if it happens, will be water off a duck's back. Um, that was basically it. But we were watching the broadcast and when Robbie Keane came on, I have not, a, I have no idea what Robbie Keane said because everybody in the room laughed for, I mean, probably 90 seconds at Bruce Arena. It just didn't stop being funny. The face that he had on as he, I mean, he started off by introducing Robbie Keane. Well, he started off by introducing himself. Hello, I am Bruce Arena. You may remember me from such national teams as the United States Men's <laughs> National this Team. This was from L.A. because Robbie's still LA, there. Yeah, I mean, it was it was dark in L.A. Mm. Um, as though it was the same time over there as it was here. I think it might have actually been pre-recorded because there was also an edit sort of jump cut in the, in the footage. It didn't even look live to me, mm. the video link up. But uh, I've no idea what Robbie Keane said because everybody in the room was laughing at Bruce Arena's rictus grin uh, because he didn't have much to say, obviously, but he wa- he did have to look at the camera. And so as he looked at the camera, he smiled at the camera and he kept that smile mm. on his face. And he didn't seem to blink a whole lot either. He was almost entirely non-blinking. He's grown up in the American broadcasting game. They stare a lot at the cameras without yeah, ever blinking if possible. Uh, yeah, you, you got to smile because I suppose if people are looking at, at your face on screen... They don't want to see some sourpuss. Yeah, you don't look glum. That's all coming up later on today. We'll have a quick chat now about Rory McIlroy with Maliki Clerken, who's been on the tour often enough to see plenty of the highs and lows in the career of one of Ireland's most interesting sportsmen. Can I ask you, Maliki, is, we were talking earlier on about the way McIlroy managed to manufacture a stroke of genius in the midst of his game completely breaking down. Was that last stretch of holes almost like Rory's career in microcosm? I guess it was a bit. Um... I mean that that shot on the 18th almost looked to me like uh, like anger or something mm. like that. Like like say if an older brother was playing tennis against a younger brother and kind of letting him into the game, and then it turned out that the younger brother was beating him, and then near the end he just pulled out a shot just to show that he could do it. That it Rory looked to me like he was he knew he should win and was kind of only sort of half engaged with it. 
until he really needed to do something at the end. Uh, and uh, But he just left himself too much to do. I, I guess it's not a... You know, it's not a disastrous loss or anything. I mean, it, it would be great to be Rory McIlroy and live in a world where costing yourself six hundred grand on the last hole with the putt uh, isn't a disaster. But it isn't like, um, and I guess we should remember. You know, he said afterwards that uh, that he didn't play well enough to deserve to win. Um, I think. I don't think Russell Henley could say that he deserved to play well enough to win, or he played well enough to deserve to win. And I don't think any of the four in the playoff really deserved to win. But golf is like that sometimes, you know. It it over four days it comes down to uh, winning by one shot. And Rory just, I just don't think he was sort of dialed in enough uh, on the day. He had led for three days. His momentum had kind of stopped on Saturday after shooting the lights out on, on Thursday and Friday. And I think he just, for some reason, didn't quite get himself to the pitch of it yesterday. Uh, and, and is it I, the manner of it uh, uh, that Rory should be most affected by or maybe most affected by Maliki? Just, like you say, kind of golf is a strange sport in that sometimes a player could just fall over the line. In Rory's case, if he had come into the last round, if he had almost reversed the order and if he had had a bad first round and come through that and charged on and come second, got into a playoff, that would have been fine maybe. But the fact that he put himself in a winning position, it did have echoes of the collapse he had a couple of years ago at the Masters. We saw the body language. This is what's fascinating about watching Rory McIlroy. You can see everything. You can see what he's feeling almost, whether it's good or bad. And uh, sometimes it seems to be that he just gets... I'm simplifying uh, sports psychology here, but that he gets quite down on himself quite early in a round. That's what, yeah, and and that's actually what I thought was a wee bit different yesterday because we have seen him certainly in years gone by. I I was at the British Open the year that he shot 63 on Thursday and then 81 on the Friday. And then the 81 on the Friday, you could just see that after three or four holes, he did not want to be there. His shoulders went, his head went. He just was and was kind of railing against the unfairness of the world. I didn't really get that off him yesterday. I just kind of got that he every time he stood on the tee, he kind of went, "Right, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna do better here." Um, and I thought it was more distracted rather than. And and you're totally right, Owen. This is complete cod psychology. I mean, we're not we're not on the you inside. Don't know what's going on. And don't know how, how he's thinking or anything yeah. like that. But I just I I think he's a different guy than than the sort of twenty year old who used to sort of completely give up when when things didn't go his way. Um, he that tournament was his right up until it wasn't. You know, even the even in the playoff. He, like his tee shot in the playoff was was perfect, um, and his second shot just caught a bit too much air, and he got a bad lie in the bunker. Like these are this just that that's just golf. But I I don't I don't see it that he has any great mental problems. I think he's in a far better place now than he was all the way through last summer, and uh, I think. I think I would be backing him in any tournament that he plays in for the next while. I I, I just think that he he is at a place and his his game is in pretty perfect shape and it was in pretty perfect shape for for even three and a half rounds uh this yeah. week and he just he just didn't get it done in the end. All right, Mackie, thank you. All right, Don. 
Maliki fairly optimistic about Rory and his chances for the rest of the year, which is probably fair enough, but I don't think we should be heaping too much praise on him for not giving up. It wasn't as though he was shooting an 83 this time. He was still, with, it was never more than, I think, a shot off the lead. So if he had given up, that would have been mm. a, seriously, a serious indictment of where he's at. He did look like... I don't know, these, these, these defeats can be damaging. It's better that he's in contention and losing than nowhere near it. Yeah. That's one thing you can say, but I'd rather see him maybe fall over the line at some stage, even think, if he didn't I deserve it. defeats are damaging at all. I mean, he's... I don't think he's got any doubts about being the most talented player but in the world. But he had a bad year last year. If he had no doubts, why wasn't he performing? He must have doubts. Uh, yeah, maybe, he's, maybe he thinks he's got all the time in the world. I mean, what is he, 24. Yeah, that was a point that he actually raised in an interview he did on Saturday evening as well, saying that, you know, I need to realise that golf is a long career and all that. Yeah, like, at the same time, though, you know, it's you're in a position there where you're up against three pretty much no-mark players, guys who aren't on Roy McIlroy's level whatsoever. You have a two-shot lead on those players in the final day of a tournament. As Jack Nicholas said, and that added another almost poignant note that Nicholas was in uh, the commentary booth for maybe half an hour, but it could have been a little bit mm. longer. And uh, <laughs> he was making that exact point. McElroy should look at this leaderboard here, even though the common consensus is you don't do that, just play your own game. Look at the leaderboard and say, I'm McElroy, I will win. Yeah, and you uh, should know that, that the three the three guys that you're up against are looking at your name on the scoreboard saying at some stage Rory McIlroy is going to yeah, put two or three birdies together. Yeah, it's a good point. about building the aura that this whole idea that Tiger Woods won a lot of tournaments because players would look at the leaderboard, see Tiger Woods, two shots ahead and be intimidated. Nobody's going to be intimidated by Rory McIlroy. They may well be outplayed by him because yeah. he's better, but they might not be intimidated and, by him in advance. Yeah, and there were guys yesterday who, you know, even when McIlroy was at 11 under said, well, listen, there's a chance I can get to 8 under here. If I get to 8 under, there's a chance McIlroy is going to collapse. Instead of saying you know, oh, you know, it's Rory McIlroy, he, he's, not go- he's not going to fall. I'm going to have to do something special. I mean, that, that, that actually has a material impact on how players play in the final stages of a tournament. All right, second captain's football coming up a little bit later on today. Hope you've enjoyed this show uh, today. And we will, of course, have a preview of Ireland Italy and the Six Nations later on in the week. In the meantime, thank you very much. Kieran. Thank you, Owen. Thank you, Ken. Thanks, thank Ken. You. Thank you very much, Owen and Kieran. And uh, thanks for listening. Take care. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.